Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Post-mortem of sorts, maybe, after the World Cup qualifying fixtures. To start us off, we had Austria 2-2 and then 1-1 against Israel. It's it's not a disaster. It's, the campaign is certainly not over. But I think the mood among the Tartan army is that there is probably a couple of question marks hanging over the team's form uh, and ones that probably need to be answered fairly sharpish going into the Euros and beyond. So myself, Andy Barge, Ben Ramage and Gordon Sheikh will do our best to try and put the team to rights and discuss a couple of the questions that have been sent in on Twitter. Uh, we've got actually plenty to get through. So let's start off with yourself, Gordon, because you're best known for being a, a very glass half full Scotland fan. Are we, are we the dregs now of your glass? <laughs> or are you still feeling like there's plenty left well you're right I I do always try to be positive in life I, I think just in wider life I my philosophy is always that you know if you can't believe that tomorrow will be a better day than today then what's the point honestly I I find negativity to be, said that? Uh, well, I don't know <laughs> Dolly Parton was it <laughs> but yeah I am I am frustrated. I am frustrated for a number of different reasons. I'm frustrated because I thought the performance last night was very poor. There's no point in trying to claim it wasn't because it was, especially in the first half. I thought it was just frustratingly, bizarrely passive. I thought there were long periods where it almost looked like we were playing with 10 men, that you're playing with three centre-backs and yet somehow Israel had all the time in the world to pick their passes. I mean, 
if there's one, you know, tactics come and go, trends come and go. If there's one thing that's held firm for as long as I've followed international football is if you give players time and space to pick their passes, pick their crosses, pick their shots, they will grow in confidence and they will punish you, you know? Again, the most frustrating thing last night, Israel were exactly what we knew they always have been. You know, they are a competent side. They're not great. They're not world beaters. They're, they, they are where they are in the world rankings for a reason. They've got a couple of standout guys, but if you give them all the time in the world, if you roll out the red carpet for them, they'll grow in confidence and then they'll eventually hurt you. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated by that. I'm frustrated by the result, frustrated by the performance. But I have to say, I am also frustrated by some of the reaction. I mean, Andy, you're a keen golfer. If you go out and play 18 holes, after three holes of the course, do you give up and say, well, I'm never making par, screw it, I'm going home? Of course you don't. We've had two games. There's 80% of the group to go. We're unbeaten. We've taken points off the second seed. So the reaction that says, oh, the group's gone. Oh, forget it. Sack it. Oh, get rid of the manager. Bring back whoever. Honestly, our national sport is not football. Our national sport is overreacting. And it, oh, it, it does my head in. It really does. So, uh, yeah, I'm frustrated for every different way. Benjamin, have conclusions been jumped to here? Nah, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with those masses. Sack Clark. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, to be fair, I've been deflated today. Yeah, it has, it's knocked, it's knocked a bit of the enthusiasm I had, just purely as Gordon says, because of the performance. The performance was poor. I felt we offered them far too much respect in the first half. I thought, you know, as Gordon alluded to, we had played them so many times. We knew exactly what they were going to be. And that's what really frustrated me was that, you know, this wasn't the first time we've met them. There's there's no unfamiliarity that you can blame it on. We knew exactly what the task was. It's not like they haven't had time to prepare for it. The squad was there. You know, the players, we've got, far, we've got good enough players to be beating Israel. And once again, we've come up short. Time will tell whether it's going to cost us in the long run. But I'm, I'm absolutely agreeing that some of the reaction has been absolutely farcical, to be honest. Um, you know, Clark's got us to the Euros. We're two games in. We've drawn with Austria. That is not the end of the world. There's still so many points to play for. Israel may take points off Austria. You, you just don't know what's going to happen in this group. We may take points off Denmark. We may take points off Austria. So there's still so far to go. But the worrying thing for me is the performance over the last four or five games. I don't see us on an upward trajectory at the moment. And that concerns me going into the Euros. Gordon, we are playing with the, I think, 3-5-2 rather than 5-3-2 because O'Donnell and Robertson are kind of halfway up the park, right? Um, so you, is that how you would say it, 3-5-2 rather than 5-3-2? Yeah. I think certainly, I think on paper, it's certainly supposed to be a 3-5-2, but I think one of our biggest downfalls last night was O'Donnell and Robertson seemed to be getting penned in quite a lot, especially through that first half, which then led to problems up the park because it then meant that McTominay and McGregor were desperately isolated and desperately overrun. They were trying to cover the entire width of the pitch themselves. And that probably led to Israel managing to just glide through our midfield time after time and set up these chances and shots from outside the box. So Okay. Well, we've been using this formation now since the autumn. Uh, it all started when McTominay moved into defence and he's back in midfield now. And I think we 
we, we struggled really to adapt to it quickly and then we improved and we got a good result against uh, Slovakia and Czech Republic in the Nations League and then we got past Serbia in the next international break which was an excellent performance let me clarify that one of the best I've seen from us in, in some time especially away from home but then we let the Nations League slip after that, which kind of was just uh, overlooked because everyone was still euphoric after reaching the Euros, which, of course, uh, we expect. Um, and now we've continued with this formation into the World Cup qualifiers. I am on a similar mindset to you, Ben, that I feel the trajectory of performances after the Serbia game is sliding down the way rather than up the way. And we saw last night that Plan B... Uh, was the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 uh, when we brought on Christy for Jack Hendry. I think it's undeniable that we improved almost immediately. We were creating more chances. Israel had much less time on the ball. We looked sharper and more decisive and more creative. So is it a fair question that plan B should become the new plan A and the 3-5-2 should be reserved for special occasions? Gordon. I think certainly the the three five two look it, it was a means to an end absolutely. I mean, when Clark first came in, he was playing with four two three one or four three three, however you want to describe it, and we got hammered in a few games. You know, we got picked apart by Belgium, we got smashed by Russia, so he had to come up with a system that would put defence first and would put the strong foundations that we could then build upon and nick wins, which we did. And we did that in the Nations League, and then that took us to the playoff final, and then that took us to the Euros. But now I think you have to look at this squad that we've put together now as being one of the more impressive and one of the more exciting attacking sets of talent that we've had. I mean, we can come on to this, but I thought the debut performance of Shea Adams last night was absolutely phenomenal. I honestly, I was excited for him before this group, and I'm even more excited for him now, I thought partnering him with the type of attacking midfield talents that we have, I do think he's the perfect type of striker that Scotland could have right now. I mean, he worked unbelievably hard. I think by about half time he was blowing at that stage because he had run so hard in attack, but also in defence. He was chasing things down. His technique is clearly phenomenal. I mean, this is a guy that went for what, £15 million to go to Southampton. He's playing the English Premier League. He is head and shoulders above what we have in centre-forward. So now I think the the task for Steve Clark now is how do you build a team and how do you build a system that's going to best suit Che Adams? And I think you saw some of that in the second half, especially when Ryan Fraser, even though Fraser did well last year when he was playing centrally, sort of just off dikes, he shone last night. As soon as he went to the left wing and he, was, he could hug the touchline, that's when he started to shine. So you need to think about how we're going to get the best of our players in an attacking sense. But again we're early in that cycle. I know people like to say that, oh, but Clark's been there for almost two years now. He's had this many games, whatever, whatever. That was Shea Adams' debut last night. So in terms of building the attacking structure and getting players used to playing with one another, that will come, but it'll come in time. So that's the challenge now, but I'm still excited to see it. And I think there's so much more to come from this team. Shea Adams was excellent, Ben. I think there, there's a... A difference with him and Dykes, they, they both held the ball up well, but Dykes, as we saw in Serbia, um, he's, he's favourite to win almost every header and he's good at flicking the ball down and knocking it down. But some of Shea Adams' 
Uh, one-touch layoffs last night when the ball was getting wrapped into him were, were absolutely superb. He was knocking it 20 yards uh, left or right of him or back to where it came from to McGinn or Fraser or whoever it was that was, was joining him. Uh, he, he was really looking quite sharp. Yeah, I think what you really saw with Adams was his technical ability is just at that Premier League level and that's why certain strikers play in the Championship in England and some of them play in the Premier League. For me, he showed that sort of awareness to bring other people into their game. He might not be as big a physical presence as Dykes, but I think you saw his speed of thought and uh, what he was trying to do, he could pull it off, was because he had that technical ability. And it's, you know, there was quite a lot of debate about whether Dykes and Adams could play together. And I, I certainly think that that could work. But as Gordon's saying, it depends on what the system is. And that would perhaps mean we'd have to come up with a new system, which isn't the end of the world. You know, that can happen. And when we looked at, you know, bringing bringing a, a three-man defence in when we really needed to work our way into some results. That was fine at that point, but we're now past that point. And as we talked about sort of in the aftermath of last night, we were better with four at the back. And maybe when we're playing teams that we are supposed to be on paper, that's when we should be playing four at the back. You know, we don't need that many men in defence against a team that we should be putting pressure on and that we should be attacking from the off. Because all we did was let Israel grow in confidence, let them have time on the ball, and they grew into the game. If we'd have started high tempo, four at the back, more in midfield, we could have actually started to dominate the game earlier and it could have been a totally different performance. We could have had 90 minutes rather than what we just had in the second half. Is this whole situation still going and stemming from Andy Robertson and Keaton Tierney? If we only have one of them, I don't think the 3-5-2 is ever brought into existence? It's a tough one. <laughs> We're going to have, it's the kind of like the elephant in the room still, which is amazing after these all these years, because how long have we talked about it, especially with Robertson, about whether he brings his club form to international level. And to me, we had this conversation two years ago. You don't get the best out of either of them in this system. You have Kieran Tierney playing at left centre-back when his best position is left-back. You have Robertson playing at left wing back when his possession is his best position is left back. So at the moment, you're getting the best out of neither. And to me, it's having a negative impact on the rest of the team, no matter how no matter how you look at it. Robertson hasn't been as good as he can be. And Tierney is being forced to shine at centre back, which I have to say, he was probably our best player for me over the course of these two games so far. You know, Tierney was magnificent and he's shown that he's He's shown to me that he's probably our best player in terms of his position. I think he is just a class above. And I don't like that it can't be talked about, you know, that Robertson is just stuck in that position because he's the captain. For me, the best player should play in the best position. And to me, at the moment, Tierney looks like he is better in that position. Gordon, it's it's a debate really that will last I'm sure for a long time longer um, which is frustrating because we all want a solution to it. How problematic is the fact that Andy Robertson is the captain? Yeah goodness I now suddenly um, (laughs) I now know how all those England fans felt for so many years having the same conversation every three months about Gerrard and Lampard playing together in the same midfield because this is it, this is is the exact same dynamic (laughs) Um, you're right. We've 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 certainly spoken before, and we've spoken off air that 
Andy Robertson's captain status, it does make him one of the first names on the team sheet, just without doubt. And whether that's right, whether that's wrong, it is the reality. I mean, because from a publicity, from a PR perspective, to be seen to be taking the captaincy away from Andy Robertson would be an incredibly big story in this country. It would be massive. And it, I, I feel like it, it could arguably do more, do more harm than good because it would be seen as a massive snub and it would be seen that it would be taken badly by certain people and it would just create a whole mash of misery. I think the, th- the, I think the, thing, the thing that annoys me as well is that on Thursday night, I felt like you saw you did see some of what was good about having Tierney and Robertson playing in the same side. You know, the fact that Tierney was so often able to take the ball in, look at space and just put on the afterburners and run in, run into it, drag the whole team up the field, play a crossfield pass, whatever. And a lot of the time he had that space because of the runs that Andy Robertson was making, you know, and we were having WhatsApp messages over the weekend and I made a daft analogy that it's almost like the fear of what Andy Robertson can do is as good as, is as valuable to us as what he actually does on the pitch because opposition teams are looking at Robertson and worrying about him and double marking him, which makes space elsewhere. So in that regard, Andy Robertson is sort of our nuclear deterrent in the squad because you don't have to use him, but everyone's afraid of him. So you get the benefit surely, that way. Surely Andy Robertson's too good to be a decoy. Yeah, 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 he is. Of course he is, yeah. But, but then as well though, what I then don't understand is that when you saw that performance out of Kieran Tierney on Thursday, when he's bombing forward, he's helping come up into midfield almost. Why didn't we see any of that last night? I don't get that. I mean, the defence was so deep and they just never came out. They never pushed up. And that's what led to all these shots from outside the box. And that's what eventually led to the goal. I mean, I'm sure we can come on to David Marshall and he probably should have saved that last night. But frankly, if he had saved it, they probably would have scored from another one because they had plenty of other shots. Is a viable option and maybe solution to go with four at the back and play Robertson at left back and give Tierney a long-term future with Scotland as one of the two centre-halves? But then again, that that wouldn't satisfy anyone either because then then you'd, ha- you'd have even less of Kieran Tierney going forward. But you would, but you would two have rather than a three. more of Robertson because right now we're getting nothing from him, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I think nothing is harsh. I, I don't think... His performances to me for Scotland are like a six or a seven. He's not playing badly, but we're not seeing the sort of world-class player that he can be for Liverpool. But for me, that's always stemmed from the fact that he doesn't have a midfielder playing in front of him. At Liverpool, he's always had that winger that he goes beyond. And that's a totally different system. And we haven't seen Robertson play with that for Scotland for a, a long time. If you had Robertson at left back and Fraser at left wing, and the two of them were working together on that wing it might be a totally different story and you might start getting the world-class Robertson. They but when you're that. playing the They've two together... Roberts, Roberts, Sorry, Robertson was good in the latter striking years. He was a good player for us. Um, it was four at the back at that stage. Tierney had a wee go at right back. I don't really think that worked out. I know we were doing quite well at that point, but he's not the same at right back as he is even at left centre-back. He's probably better at left centre-back. Um so Robertson has performed for us. I'm not saying that he's, what, 40-odd caps now and he's never played well. He has. But in this system, he's not playing well. Yeah. And no, no, I, I totally agree with that. For, for us to get the best out of him, and if he is the one that's going to play because he's the captain, then do we need to just change it and stop trying to fit two left-backs into the team? 
But the, the difficulty is you're then either putting Tierney as a centre-back, you know, you can call it a left centre-back, but it's a centre-back in a four, or having him at left wing even. But that, that's the only option if you're going to have Tierney, if you're going to have Robertson at left-back. I think try, if we're going to play both of them, trial and error, I think we have to just keep cracking on because I think this 3-5-2 is, is an error. I don't, I don't see that it, I don't see it benefiting the team uh, having both of them in there in those positions personally, uh, and and I'm trying not to go too hard on Robertson because as I said he has been good for us over the years, but as an evening he scored that cracker in Clark's first game, uh, coming up from left back, and he did get in behind a few times, but his his final ball was poor, which was unlike him, but uh, we need better in the final third from him. Um, because he doesn't get the chance to cross the ball for us as often as he does for Liverpool. And also, it's you're talking about the nu- nuclear deterrent thing, Gordon. Now, Liverpool uh, play with their full-backs heavily involved, but they obviously have world-class talent all over the pitch. It's, hard, it's easy yeah. to be distracted by Wijnaldum or Firmino or Manny, whoever it is, um, which might give Robertson and Alexander-Arnold time to, to do their thing. Um, but anyway, the, the 3-5-2... And I think the evidence is there on the last few months that it's not the way forward for this Scotland team. I don't think that we get the best out of the attacking threat and I certainly don't think we get the best out of Robertson or Tierney. Uh, And it's at the stage now where I think a very tough decision, and not everyone will agree on its opinions, but I think we're at the stage now where a tough decision has to be made on one of them or both of them as a four. Yeah, I I I think for me it's the system has to has to reflect who the opponent is and what the circumstances of the game is. I think when it comes to the Faroe Islands on Wednesday, I think we should be starting with a four two three one. I mean, there's there's no way. I mean, with the greatest of respect to the Faroe Islands, and look, they they took the lead against Austria last night, so there's certainly no mugs. They did well in the Nations League last year. They are on something of a confidence high. But we should not be starting with three centre backs against the Faroe Islands. We should go with a four, play a four, two, three, one. I'd still love to see Shea Adams start up front. And just like I said, it's about finding the system that can get the best out of our attacking players because now we've got some really high value attacking players that, that we just need to find ways of getting them in the team and getting them playing together and getting them playing off each other. That's that's the most important thing. I think I think that's fair uh, to uh, to say it depends on the game because Israel are, are not a world class team uh, and they probably don't move the well, they don't move the ball as quickly and as sharply as teams like Germany and Belgium and France. But, but when we went to a four last night, we certainly got a lot closer to them and they were not able to come on to us uh, anywhere near as effectively as, as they did in the first half. Um, but I think that you're right, playing against the better teams, it's probably better to be more solid rather than in their faces. I don't know, I'm not a tactician, but I think that is what the logical thing would be, no? Yeah. I think that's what Clark, well, my hope is that that's what Clark will see this as, that, okay, that system worked to get us to some sort of strength, you know, a position of strength to get back into it. And sorry, <laughs> the cat's just popped up on the video. <laughs> Looking very right. good. Um, I so... What were we saying? Yeah. We might have to edit it. It worked for the, the playoffs. Aye, so it worked. The the three at the back system worked to get us through the playoffs. 
But we are now at a position where if we're going to try and qualify for major tournaments, we have to start beating teams. And to me, when you're going into a team like Israel, we shouldn't be concerned specifically about conceding a lot of goals to them. We should really be saying, why, if we take the game to them, we have the players to beat them now. That, to me, is about confidence. It's about stamping your authority on the game. And that's what we didn't do in the first half last night. Well, could the warm-up games be a perfect example here, OK? Because it seems that we're going to be playing, judging by reports anyway, the Netherlands and Republic of Ireland before the Euros. Is it the perfect opportunity to do the 3-5-2 against the Netherlands and then play the four at the back against Ireland and test out both? Because Ireland are pish now. <laughs> yeah, I think so, certainly. I, I, and And especially when you consider what we're going to be facing in the Euros, we are going to be facing both different scenarios. You know, I mean, that first game at Hamden against the Czech Republic, that's a game that we absolutely have to be going out and dominating from the start and putting our game plan into effect and being on the front foot. And then the other two games against England and Croatia, we're probably, we, are probably, we are probably going to have to be more defensively minded and tighter at the back. So as, as I said earlier, you know, the 3-5-2 to get us through the playoffs was a means to an end. And it achieved, it achieved that end. But now we need to evolve massively. And you'd like to think we will. I mean, Clark's not stupid. Like, come on. Like, Clark's not going to be looking back at these games and thinking, oh, well, these were all fantastic performances and great results because they haven't been. So, yeah. Yeah. You'll get there. The, the positive angle coming from the SFA is, is exactly what they're supposed to do in their line of work there. I mean, put a positive spin on it and and try and distract from a couple of the things that are are glaring us in the face. I, I agree with you that I very much doubt Clark is going home and twiddling his thumbs and thinking, okay, two points, job done in the openers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Clark is still fairly new to the international game. You know, as, as good a manager and a coach as he's been at club level, international level is a, a totally different level. And he, I think it's maybe 18, 19 games he's had now. So you can't expect him to be perfect every game either. You know, he's working out how much he can get from this group of players. There's obviously some mental frailty there because a lot of these players have still been part of campaigns that have fallen flat on their face. We've only just qualified for one. So I think he's probably still trying to work out exactly how hard he can push them, how much he can push the attacking side of things whilst also not giving it away at the back. And, you know, as, as we're seeing, that's, it's still a work in progress. Well, uh, we've got another question here. We, we, we could go on round in circles and circles about Tierney and Robertson, but I think we've covered most bases there. Uh, not sure we'll ever reach a, a common solution to it. There are simply too many variables and it's, it's, it's impossible, really. Let's just, for, for pod's sake, um, what would you like to see uh, in the world, in the Euro warm-up games, take the Euros out of the equation because I don't actually even think Tierney will play. I think he'll get rested. But let's just say for the one of the warm-up games, uh, if we do uh, play four at the back against Ireland, would you like to see one or the other or both of them? Or even the 3-5-2? I think against Holland, you play the 3-5-2 and use that as preparation for the England game when we, we would expect England to have the majority of the ball. The Ireland game, that would be the one to maybe test if t could play as 
a centre-back pair. And I honestly think that Tierney has the potential to do that. Um, I, you just see the quality that he has, the leadership, the aggression. He, he To me, he could. He looks like he could do it, but are you going to find that out international level? I'm not sure until you actually see it happen. Um, maybe the Ferris would be a good a good chance to try it or maybe the island game when there's a bit less pressure because at the end of the day we have to beat the pharaohs we absolutely have to beat the pharaohs so that might not be the time to experiment too much given that there's already pressure on this this up this next game now gordon there was a point made on sports sound earlier that tierney would be very capable as a center back because at international level most of the teams you play are are quite serious take away your like gibraltars and your San Marinos and whatnot, that they're likely to try and play football. They're not going to just lump it up. So it doesn't matter that Tierney's not six foot three. Um, the type of attacks that he'll be coming up against, they'll be quite suited as a centre half. Because he's fast, can read the play, um, good at the back. Yeah, I, th- I think I can certainly see that. Although, goodness, I mean, the, the striker we were up against again <laughs> on Thursday night for Austria, you know, six foot seven, I'd. <sighs> I don't think you'd put much money on Kieran Tierney winning many balls in the air against him. But you're right. I, I, I think he is, he has all the attributes. He has all the technical abilities. He is a strong guy. He's good in the tackle. But I think our bigger problem, and you saw this on Thursday, you saw it last night, is that we're not cutting off problems before they develop. You know, the fact that both of the goals that we conceded on on Thursday against Austria came from players having far too much time and space to pick a shot and then pick a cross. And then the goal we conceded last night was a guy outside the box having far too much time. Those are supposed to be situations that you can control, that you can at least do something about. And the fact that we didn't, and the fact that we were caught that way on Thursday and then got caught again on Sunday, that's very, very concerning for me. Like that's, that's deeply worrying. I think there was a massive Ryan Jack shaped hole in that midfield. I think we really realized what an important, player Jack is in terms of the system as well because he's because he sits right in front of the defense I think that allows the other midfielders a little bit more freedom to go and do what they need to do I think all the roles are better defined when Jack is in that holding midfield role when you took that away I think McGinn didn't look quite as sure as what his role was McTominay and McGregor that relationship it just it wasn't as as solid and as clear-cut is when Jack was there and you're talking about those shots getting off you know Ryan Jack would have been would have been right in that middle spot so everyone should have really just been better set I just feel like that as you say there was massive holes in midfield which should not be the case if you've got three centre-backs and two midfielders players should not be having massive pockets of space on the edge of your box so to me the system just didn't really work when Jack wasn't in it Ben you've You've mentioned John McGinn. Let's move on to him. He scored an, an unbelievable finish against Austria. He was in the right place, right time for that second phase from a corner kick. Um, but you've got a, a question you'd like to knock out the park here from McTactician on Twitter who asks what McGinn actually offers this team. You've got uh, an answer you think is quite simple. Well, goals would be the uh, my initial response. I mean... You look at the amount of goals he scored in the the last year. I'd say he's probably well. I'm pretty sure he is our top goal scorer. Um, and not just that, you've got his vision, you've got his bottle and his battle. 
he is one of the hardest pressing players. And I, you know, I do have a bit of a man crush on him in terms of his footballing ability. You know, I, I, I have loved him for four or five years. You can see you think he's sexy as well, you think. It doesn't have to be just, you know. (laughs) In a dark room, maybe. (laughs) But I just think, I I totally get that he did not play. I would say that was probably his worst actual performance that I've seen from him uh, against Israel. But I I do feel that the, the, the missing of Jack, I feel like that had an influence on it. I don't think his role was as clearly cut uh, as it normally is. And uh, to be honest, I think there was quite a few below pars, uh, especially in the first half uh, against Israel. But for me, McGinn is one of the absolute vital cogs in that midfield machine. And I would be very surprised to not see him feature heavily, you know, in over the next year. Yeah, Gordon McGinn's an important player, isn't he? Yeah, of course he is. Absolutely. He, he, he is a key part of that midfield. I mean, I, I, I think it's... It's almost unfair to pick out players from last night for particular criticism because I don't know how many players you could pick out that actually had a particularly good game. I mean, I've said that I liked a lot of what Adams did, but much of that is almost, it's a small, it's a very small sample size. And I'm more thinking about what he could do in the future as he gets better and better. I thought Ryan Fraser showed flashes of what he could do, especially when he went to left wing. Beyond that, I genuinely don't know how many other Scotland players got pass marks last night for, for me. Well, one player who I <laughs> felt didn't really get pass marks in the opening game was Stuart Armstrong. I thought he was off his game. A few people disagreed with me on that. Uh, I, I didn't think that his close control uh, and his driving was uh, as what it normally can be. Um, he came on last night for the last five minutes. There's been... A chat and debate before about if Armstrong's best role for Scotland is coming off the bench with maybe 20 or 30 minutes to go when the game's in the balance, if we need to pick a lock or stretch a, a tired midfielder defence. Kenny McLean came on before him last night. Uh, he came on for McGinn uh, with Dykes coming on for Adams at the same time. Glenn Schroeder is asking if those substitutions were too negative when the game was in the balance. I think we both don't want to answer this. <laughs> you go I don't know. I think well, ben, you go Armstrong, I've always, we've always been really big fans of Armstrong on this podcast. I feel like he was maybe trying to impress against Austria. I think he maybe felt like that was a bit of an audition um, for more game time. And I don't think he played badly. He went really close to scoring um, the one that he drove into the box. I think... I I think it maybe summed it up against Israel. There was still that hesitancy. For me, Armstrong, I would have put Armstrong on ahead of McLean because we should have been chasing a winner. For me, we should have been going all out for a winner. McLean is a more sensible option, you know, a, a more sense like a more of a centre mid instead of an attacking mid. So yeah, to me, I probably would have still put Armstrong on, and because if, if if you're looking for someone to unlock the Israel defence to find that winner, he would have been the better option. Gordon? Yeah, although my issue with Stuart Armstrong, especially in the Scotland side, the way that we set up, is that I just don't know where he fits. I don't know where he he goes in relation to the other players on the pitch because when you look at him play for Southampton, he generally, he, he quite often this season has actually played left wing. And 
is that a position that really exists in the Scotland side? I don't think so. So I don't know. And, and then to think that he can drop in for five, 10 minute spells or play for a half or start a game and come off. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how we're going to get the best out of him, to be honest. Because he's on either... left wing last night for Ryan Fraser, didn't he? For the last, like for six or seven minutes. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, for, for six minutes, like, what's the point? I, I don't know. He was, his position when he was incredible for 18 months or so at Celtic was behind the striker. It was number 10. You want Stuart Armstrong and attacking mid in between the lines, getting it on the half turn. That's, again, that's but, where I would say his best position is. That's where you get the most out of his technical ability. He can go past people. His finishing is generally pretty good and his link-up play is pretty good. So for me, if you were going to play him, he would need to play off of a Che Adams, which he handily does at Southampton, to be fair. So they, they should have some sort of understanding already. But then that forces McGinn deep or out of the team. Stop creating problems, Gordon. <laughs> oh. it is, I think you said, I think that was one of the requests as well was about midfield, you know, that had come into the Twitter about the midfield. How do you fit them all in? And I think Clark is having that problem, especially when you then put McTominay back into midfield, because then that's another superb midfielder that you have to fit in. And how you, you can't play them all. It, it's a re- it is an absolute it's a really tough one. Which is why it's why I wonder, despite the, the man love that I've got from him, similar to you, how you feel about McGinn, Ben, is is it better that Armstrong is an impact player to come on when we're chasing an equaliser or to come on when we're chasing a winner? Somebody that can... Because I think Armstrong is quite unpredictable. Um, I know he gets the ball and he likes to drive and run, but I think that... When he gets there, it's it's quite hard if he's going to lay off. Lay off. Is he going to shoot? Where's he going to pop up? He's a he's a dynamic midfielder, and I think that that is maybe his best role in this Scotland team. And I wonder if it would have been better for him to come on with half an hour to go last night rather than five minutes to go. Well, yeah, no, I like. Uh, right. Okay, we'll move on then to a question from Rab Dempsey. He's asking, Gordon, I think this is one that falls in your court. He's asking, uh, is five points, provided we beat the Pharaohs, of course, yep. is five points really much of a disaster? No, no, it isn't. Uh, not from not from where I'm sitting, especially considering we, we took the draw against Austria. So we took points off them, which is important, especially when you're looking at them being seated above us. Dropping points to Israel is a disappointment. You know, I, I summed it up on Twitter last night that I thought Thursday was one point gained. I thought last night was two points dropped, and I completely stand by that. But when you then consider that Wednesday night Denmark play Austria, and if Denmark were to were to win that, then that leaves Austria on four points and would leave put us on five. So it's still we're still very very much in the mix, you know, and we've still got big games to come and. Looking at this group and looking at the layout of the group, do I feel, you know, I, I was I was looking today that you know the, the 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 last time that Scotland got a got a win against a second seed was Slovakia in 2017. The last time we got a win against a top seed was Croatia in 2013. So these are things that we don't do very often. But how confident do I feel about us going against Austria and Denmark? Probably more confident than if it was Belgium, Germany, Spain, Italy. You know. And of course, you have to bear in mind, you know, maybe I'm clutching at straws, but the fact that our home game against Denmark is the last game in the group, uh, you could very much be looking at a situation where Denmark have already qualified by that point. I mean, they do look, 
fairly ominous, putting eight past Moldova. Have If they've wrapped the game up, how often do you see a team go into a dead rubber game and then just not really turn up? And if it means everything to us to win that game on the last day, you could see us doing that. So the group is far, far, far from over. And I think to stay unbeaten and, and again, as bad as we were in the first half, we still came out and we still turned it around. You know, we came out much, much better. I still think the mental strength in this group is strong. Came from behind twice against Austria, came from behind last night. Yeah, they're not the results that we wanted, but the team is strong mentally for sure. You could point to the playoff final as well, probably. The fact that we endured extra time and got through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah, what sort of team do we expect to see on Wednesday? Do you think it will be experimental or do you think that we need to try and find some sort of best 11? Is it quite difficult, though, to try and judge your best 11 when they're playing against the Pharaohs? Famous last words. <laughs> well, the trouble is, it's still a World Cup qualifier, so there's still pressure on it. So for me, if you were to say you could, for me, I would quite like to see Adams and Dykes start. I, I, could, I would quite like to see Adams play just off Dykes and see if that works. Because they're two very good strikers. Um, Dykes has played really well for us already and has got goals. So to me, that's not too experimental. But I would like to see if that works or not. And we only have so many games to discover that before the Euros. So why not try that against the Pharaohs? If it doesn't work by halftime, 60 minutes, then you change it. But I, I can't see it. In my mind, that looks like a good partnership. That you know they They should on paper, work together. So I would I would like to see that. Pretty sure, Gordon, that we'll maybe see Palmer, um, maybe Kenny McLean from the start, or McBurney from the start, and Nisbet might get a run out. These are suggestions from Alan Crozier. Yeah, I can certainly see, I can certainly see changes at the back. I think, obviously, assuming that we're going with a back four, um, you've got quite a few players back there that haven't seen really any minutes this week. You know, guys like Considine, guys like Scott McKenna, as you said, Liam Palmer, I, I'd maybe consider maybe giving Craig Gordon or John McLaughlin a start in goals, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with Ben that I think we have to be trying to set up with the best attacking team that we've got. I don't think that this is a game that you give a start to Nisbet and McBurney. I think you go with what we see as our best choice going forward and give them a chance to develop, to build something because Lyndon Dykes is still relatively young in his international career. Shea Adams has just started, but they are our highest potential strikers. So I would very much like to see them play together. And I think, as we said before, given the relationship Adams has with Danny Ings, I see I see success in that partnership. Essentially, we take no chances until or if or when we are sitting comfortably with 20 or 30 minutes to go. Yeah, definitely. At the end, we're not in a position where, where we can where we can risk it. Do you know what I mean? We need these three points. This, this is now, especially having dropped points against Israel, this is now a massive game. And that, does, that comes with mental pressure. And at the moment, we haven't won in our last five games. So we really can't take any chances in this game. So I really don't want to see too many changes, too many risks taken. Yeah, absolutely. And what do we think the best result on the other big game on the night would be for us? I, th- I, th- I think you'd probably say draw. I, 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 draw, draw. Drops points for both of them. And that's, 
And with a win for us, that draws us closer to both of them. Um, obviously, as I said earlier, if, um, if Denmark were to win and we win, then we go ahead of Austria. But it's far, far too early to be looking at the actual league placings. It's You have to look at the results. So I think, yeah, a, a, a draw does both teams equal amounts of damage. Yeah, Ben? Yeah, I agree. I think it keeps them both in the mix. And if we were then to go and beat Denmark or to go and beat Austria, then we are well in with a shout. So, yeah, I think a draw keeps it all fairly even. Okay, Doug. Well, I think we've touched on just about, uh, well, maybe not everything, but certainly plenty of talking points there. Anything else you feel worthy of bringing to the table, fellas? Just keep the faith. Just just absolutely keep the faith. I mean, you know, let's let's not shy away from the challenge. I mean... We said this before this campaign started that qualifying for a World Cup is far, far, far harder than qualifying for a Euros. And you look at, you try and plot the path for how we're going to get there. And obviously you look at the bottom two seeds. You have to beat both of them home and away. So that's 12 points. But let's be realistic. You know, we've only actually done that beating the top two seeds home and away. We've only done that once since France 98. So that's not something we often do. You know, and as I mentioned earlier about Slovakia 2013, Croatia 2013, beating seeds above us again that's not something we've done very often so the challenge was always massive from day one we were always going to have to take stuff from the point from the teams above us so nothing's changed but we're still a growing side we're still a developing side we're still evolving and like I said just try and be positive honestly I I don't I don't understand the mentality of people that want to just give up and want to just chuck it and say ah we can't do it I, I can't understand that mentality. What's the point? Okay, well, let's end on that nice but quite deep note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Well, let's just fucking hope that we beat the Pharaohs. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> That's the minimum, yeah. Yeah, all right. Right, cool. Good stuff, lads. Cheers. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, guys. Podcast Network.